day, a day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Well, what a difference a day makes. The country wakes up today feeling very much as if it has awakened from a four-year-long nightmare of political instability and chaos. And now we look to the future under the leadership of newly inaugurated President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Of course, none of what we experienced over the last years was an actual dream. It was all very real, and we will be dealing with the aftermath of that reality for a really long time. And our 46th president inherits a pretty big mess, a country ill-prepared to take on the global pandemic. Right-wing extremism and terrorism threatening to dismantle our societal norms and our sense of security. A climate crisis that continues to escalate and a reckoning with white supremacy and racial inequality that still must transform the very foundations of our institutions. But even with those daunting challenges ahead, it feels as though we can maybe take a bit of a deep breath today, knowing that the people who are leading us through these challenges are a lot more competent than the people who were in charge yesterday. Here to talk more about yesterday's inauguration and the transfer of power between Donald Trump and President Joe Biden is Washington Post on-air reporter and friend of the show, Libby Casey. Libby, welcome back to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, it's great to have you here. So give us a sense of the mood yesterday in Washington as we swore in a new president under circumstances that don't look anything like what any of us have seen before. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris wanted to communicate, and, and they did successfully communicate a message of unity, of optimism, but also a recognition of the intense problems they are inheriting at this moment and you know a sense of the gravity of the situation. But Stephen, as a resident of Washington, D.C., yesterday was surreal mm. because that green zone that was set up, uh, essentially like an occupied military zone, extended far beyond the National Mall or the Capitol. It, it was a huge footprint in downtown D.C. And so no one could get near it unless you were a member of the National Guard or a journalist. And so, you know, a handful of my colleagues were down on the mall, but we're getting these dispatches from them saying, you know, no one's here. <laughs> the, the, the mall is sort of beautiful and eerily quiet with a display of American flags um, but it, it it just spoke to this double crisis of the pandemic, which is why the Biden-Harris transition team told people to stay home, watch it online, listen to it online. Um, and, you know, the security threat. Just two weeks earlier, the Capitol had been attacked and, and you couldn't avoid recognizing that by the visual images. Yeah. There, there, there's so much about inauguration, of course, that is symbol and... It is meant to evoke emotion more more than anything else. And one of the symbols, of course, is that the new president is there being sworn in. And typically, the president who is leaving office 
is also there. It's a really important part of the idea of peaceful transfer of power. But of course, Donald Trump, who was the 45th president of the United States, did not attend inauguration yesterday. But Vice President Mike Pence did. Uh, talk about how that symbolism sort of projected yesterday and, and what message, I guess, uh, Americans might draw from it. Yeah, the phrase I keep thinking of is things are not surprising, but they're shocking. (laughs) It is not surprising that Donald Trump did not attend the inauguration of his successor, but it's shocking. It's a breach of protocol, but it's also a breach of, you know, basic manners. And for Vice President Pence to attend, you know, everyone recognized that was a gracious thing to do. It was also the the normal thing to do. (laughs) So it it was not a high bar he had to achieve yesterday. And Mike Pence successfully, you know, was there. He witnessed this transfer of power. And then after the inauguration ceremony, Vice President Kamala Harris and the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, walked uh, Mr. and Mrs. Pence, you know, down the Capitol steps to their car that took them away. That's normally something that the new president does for the outgoing president. Um, But in this case, it was, you know, the vice presidents having that symbolic moment. You know, we had this split screen moment yesterday morning watching Donald Trump depart Washington, D.C. The helicopter lifts off. And Stephen, you know, they they did a little uh, quick tour of D.C. as they headed out to uh, Joint Base Andrews. And you just couldn't help but wonder what Donald Trump and Melania Trump were thinking as they looked down on the city that was devoid of people. Hmm. Businesses weren't just closed. There was plywood all over the city because of concerns of, of riots and danger and protests. And, you know, they're they're leaving behind this sort of devastation in their wake. Um, so Donald Trump lands at Joint Base Andrews. He wanted to have a big send-off, a party for himself. They were trying to get anybody who'd ever worked for him, including people who he can't stand and who can't stand him anymore, like Anthony Scaramucci got invited. <laughs> of course, he didn't go. Uh, hardly anybody showed up. I mean, it was mostly his family and some paid staffers, although a lot of senior staff, frankly, did not attend. Uh, Republican leadership begged off because they said, well, you know, we've got the inauguration to go to. The timing doesn't quite work out. Um, but but it wasn't the big send off he wanted. And he gave a speech in which he was really not very gracious and you know, warned that people's taxes might go up. And then he got on Air Force One and left. And, you know, and then we turned back to what the incoming administration was going to be doing. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were with the Republican leadership at a church service. Of course, Mm. Biden's a devout Catholic. Um, And and so then it was like the national focus could turn its attention to what's ahead instead of what's behind us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Libby Casey. She is an honorary reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for The Washington Post. Uh, We're talking about what happened yesterday in Washington, D.C., the inauguration uh, of Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States, uh, an inauguration ceremony that didn't look like uh, any inauguration ceremony I think we've seen before, Uh, a Washington, D.C. that played host to that ceremony that uh, is on edge, not just because of the global pandemic, but also because of the attack on the U.S. Capitol that happened a few weeks ago. Uh, How did uh, you take all of it in, though? Uh, Did you watch much of the inauguration? And if you did, what did you think uh, of uh, Joe Biden's speech? What did you think of the other performances that we saw uh, during the inauguration? And what sense do you have of where we are as a country from what you saw yesterday, how does it make you feel about where this country is headed? Are you hopeful? Are you concerned? 
Uh, are you at least a little more optimistic about uh, who's in charge in Washington? Or are you somebody who is sad to see Donald Trump exit uh, the White House? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to include you in the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Libby, there were a lot of Republicans in attendance yesterday who had worked in recent weeks to throw out the results of the election. That was, for me, one of the more surprising uh, mm-hmm. uh, dynamics, I guess, uh, dur- during the inauguration. Ted Cruz showed up at uh, the inaug- inauguration, and so did uh, Michigan Congressman Tim Wahlberg. Uh, both of them had said that uh, they think the election was fraudulent. They think that Joe Biden didn't win, and yet they were there for for this uh, ceremony. What what kind of message does that send? Uh, e- even beyond Mike Pence, who never did join that chorus, uh, to have Republicans who who fomented all of this doubt about the election be there to see Joe Biden sworn in. You know, in in one way, it's it's shows that the normalcy that so many Americans are craving. Politicians have fierce fights. We heard uh, some of the political leaders reflect on that in uh, a gifting ceremony that happened after the actual inaugural ceremony. The gifting ceremony was inside the Capitol Rotunda and congressional leadership give uh, the president and the vice president a series of gifts. And they talked about how, you know, we we have our divisions, but we come together. And that's what Americans expect. But as you point out, the, the the attempts by Republicans to delegitimize the election and, and take away the votes of American citizens over the past months cannot be ignored. And so it was a little jarring to see some of those Republicans in attendance. But, you know, one can hope that it signals some sense of normalcy, some sense of temporary unity. But the Biden team has a recognition there's not going to be a honeymoon. There, there is no honeymoon here. They're already going to be fighting tooth and nail to get things done, fighting with Republicans. I mean, even Kevin McCarthy, the top Republican in the House, uh, voted even after the riot in the Capitol, um, you know, to essentially disenfranchise, to not recognize the legitimate electoral process. Uh, and, and Kevin McCarthy was there yesterday giving a gift. So, uh, you know, Stephen, it, it, normalcy was a word we kept talking about yesterday, mm. and it's a word that we'll continue to talk about. And it is normal for politicians to fight and then come together for these big inaugural events. What, what frankly would have been more meaningful is if they had not attended. If they hadn't and, been there. And, and luckily they, they did. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us how you're taking in all of the things that we saw uh, happen in Washington, uh, D.C. yesterday, the inauguration of President Joe Biden, even the press conference, the very first uh, press conference by the White House press secretary looked really different yesterday than what we've gotten used to over the last four years. Does that make you hopeful? Uh, are you cynical about uh, what what lies ahead? Uh, give us a call. Let us know. Let's go to Dennis in Dearborn. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, good morning. Um, inside myself, there's a great deal of joy. I'm an old man. I'd do somersaults if I could. <laughs> um, in my family, there's a lot of pain, though. Um, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so the word denial really 
uh, I use a lot. I, I have sisters who would not even listen to it. And I, I, I called and said, did you listen to the spirit of the day? Because it's like a sacrament. It really is like a sacrament, that inauguration. And it, it, it's so positive and, and, and optimistic. But nope, I'm not listening to it. Uh, he's a liar, and I'm not having anything to do with him. So there's pain in that family. And then in the extended family, I have Q members who are just – so so with all of the, the excitement, yeah. there's still pain about all of that unity, especially in that poem yesterday that just the call for unity is so, so significant, but we can't take it for granted. We're going to have to work the hell out of it. Mm. Dennis, I really, really love the perspective that you've added with the call. I mean, uh, to, to hear about inside your own family uh, the, the the kinds of divisions that that uh, that we see in our politics and our culture playing out uh, on that level is is I think very stark. But I also think it's the kind of thing that a lot of people are experiencing um, right now. Uh, Libby, we heard. Almost everybody yesterday talk about unity, talk about healing, talk about moving forward together. We saw some gestures toward that, as we said, uh, people who had doubted the validity of Joe Biden's win, who actually showed up for inauguration anyway. But but I, I think what Dennis highlights and, and what's going on in his family highlights is just how deep these divisions run and and how far off in the distance, I guess, the whole idea of something like unity might be when the things that we have to confront um, are things that that by nature uh, are, are going to divide us. Yeah. Um, and, and Dennis, your family is like, a, you know, the microcosm of America right now. And th- there is a, a lot of pain right now. Uh, the Washington Post has a story by my colleagues, Drew Harwell and Craig Timberg, looking at QAnon believers uh, who believe this, you know, bogus conspiracy theory about how there was a lot of confusion and pain, frankly, yesterday as what they thought would come to pass, some sort of insurrection, Trump not leaving office didn't. And you know, if you, you know, the conspiracy theories are so out there that it's almost easy to laugh at or just be mystified by. But if you really believe it, this can be a destabilizing moment. And, you know, Jen Psaki, the new press secretary, was asked about this idea of disinformation, how they're going to deal with it, how the Biden administration is going to help tackle it. And she sort of punted on it. Um, But she knows, the press corps knows, Americans know that this is going to be yet another challenge that the Biden-Harris team will have to work on. And we're all going to have to work on it, frankly, in our own families and in our own in our own communities of information. And, you know, Fox News and some other right-wing outlets last night were not focused on the unity and the inauguration. They were, you know, they were already sort of, you know, casting aspersions and criticizing. Hmm. Um, now, now, critique is part of this, right? Like Jen Psaki's press briefing is a perfect example. Yesterday, it was so normal, Stephen. And, and the normalcy of it, was so refreshing. That does not mean that she answered all the journalist questions. No, you know, she, right. she did. You know, she did the artful dodge. She said, "We'll get back to you on that." She pivoted away from questions she didn't really want to 
to dive into. And that's normal. And that's where that relationship and that tension between journalists and the press secretary comes where, you know, we push and try to get questions. They, they push back. And that, that's part of what we're used to seeing. Um, and so that does not mean that the Biden and Harris administration will get a free pass. They're going to have to be held accountable. But um, you know, there, there is this question of how we all do come together to at least get on the same page when it comes to facts and basic information, everything from, you know, how to protect ourselves from COVID-19 to how to accept the legitimate results of an election. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation uh, with Libby Casey of The Washington Post. Uh, and we want to continue to hear from you about your reactions to inauguration yesterday and the beginnings of the Biden administration. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media, put comments there, and we'll include them that way. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Libby Casey. She's an on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for the Washington Post. We are talking about what happened yesterday in Washington, the inauguration of uh, Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States, the beginnings of the Biden administration as he signed a slew of executive orders, most of them undoing policies that the previous administration had put into place. Uh, Donald Trump had uh, done a lot of things that Joe Biden decided we don't want to be doing uh, anymore. Uh, Did you watch much of the inauguration yesterday? Did you notice how different it was than past inaugurations? And what did you make of those differences? Uh, Are you hopeful about the things that you heard Joe Biden and Kamala Harris say? Uh, Are you hopeful about the direction that they have promised to take the country in? Uh, Or are you somebody who supports uh, the former president, Donald Trump? Uh, Are you somebody who would rather have seen him get another four years uh, to lead the country? Uh, Give us a call. Let us know how you're thinking about all of these things. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. Uh, Libby, I want to talk some about the big first from yesterday. Uh, Kamala Harris is the first woman, the first African-American, and the first Asian-American to serve as vice president. And that seems especially powerful coming on the heels of a Trump presidency that that eschewed the whole idea uh, of the importance of uh, diversity, even walking out the door Uh, uh, Mike Pompeo said some really awful things about the idea of multiculturalism, which seemed to come out of out of nowhere. I'm not sure who really asked his opinion about those things, but he sure offered it. Um, Before you you give me your thoughts on uh, Kamala Harris in this moment, I want to listen to a clip of her short speech from last night's uh, Celebrating America event. In many ways, this moment embodies our character as a nation. It demonstrates who we are. Even in dark times, we not only dream, we do. We not only see what has been, we see what can be. We shoot for the moon, and then we plant our flag on it. 
We are bold, fearless, and ambitious. We are undaunted in our belief that we shall overcome, that we will rise up. This is American aspiration. Hmm. American aspiration. The speeches yesterday, I thought, were, were, were very nicely uh, crafted. Uh, talk about that, that moment uh, where Kamala Harris became the first woman, the first African-American, and the first Asian-American to be sworn in as vice president. Yeah, the 56-year-old daughter of a Jamaican father and an Indian mother, she was sworn in by the first Latina Supreme Court Justice, Sonia Sotomayor. And as she was on that inaugural platform yesterday, she shared this like double fist bump with uh, former President Obama. (laughs) And this moment of connection of the first African-American president you know, ha- having as, as much of a moment of intimacy as we can have these days. There were some <laughs> hugs out there, there were some hugs, you know, but 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 just having that that connection with with this uh, this trailblazer, this woman who is breaking barriers. You know, we also saw Hillary Clinton there, of course, yesterday accompanying Bill Clinton um, at the inaugural celebration. And you wondered what Hillary Clinton was thinking as she was watching this woman, um, you know, put even more cracks in that glass ceiling. Um, it it. It was remarkable, and regardless of your politics, to see uh, the advancement of America, sort of long overdue to many, um, you know, was really important. And you know, Kamala Harris represents Americans in so many other ways. Stephen, you know, she's a stepmom, um, as is Jill Biden, as mm-hmm. is Dr. Jill Biden. Um, she comes from, you know, she she has this blended family now. She has stepkids. Her husband is Jewish. The, we'll have the first second gentleman. Um, and so this is looking a lot more like America. And when you think about someone like Mike Pompeo throwing barbs on his way out, I mean, he's teeing up his presidential run, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's trying to sort of get into that conservative bent and solidify some sort of support, I guess, among evangelicals or something. But the irony of that is, of course, that the president and the vice president are uh, are Christians. They you know they 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 talked about their faith in the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. We saw it on display yesterday. And in those speeches, you really heard a mix of like American pride, but also a recognition in the suffering and the pain of many Americans, both present because of the pandemic and the, the, the economic crisis, but also the past, a recognition of history, which seems sort of normal. But the Trump administration was really trying to whitewash history. And they, as they were walking out the door, they left this you know propaganda plan essentially for American schools to teach sort of a, 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 a only positive version of history. And so when you heard a recognition of history from the new leaders of our country, but also in the poetry yesterday, I mean, if, if people didn't get to hear Amanda Gorman, this 22-year-old poet, um, deliver her poem yesterday on the inauguration platform, I'd go back and watch her or read it. It was just stunning. Yes. And it was this mix of optimism, but also a recognition of, you know, you can have both. You can have the pain, you can have the trial, and you can also have the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to get to callers who have some things to say about Kamala Harris. But since you bring up uh, Amanda Gordon, we also have a really great clip of her amazing speech. Let's listen to that now. While once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. 
We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. You know, one of my favorite things about inauguration is the inclusion of poets. Uh, I can remember still uh, the, the the poems from the Clinton inaugurations and the Obama inaugurations. But but yesterday, Amanda Gordon's uh, work just really, really blew me away. And and Libby Casey, you're right. If if listeners have not gone back and and listened to that, it it is worth a second listen. Uh, uh, for sure. Uh, I, I want to go to Bernadette in Old Redford, who's got some interesting thoughts about uh, Kamala Harris and why we should uh, or how we should be thinking of her uh, in her role over the next four years. So Bernadette, welcome Good to morning, the show. Good morning, Stephen. What I've noticed is that coverage of any uh, first lady or, in this case, the second lady of the White House tends to be on fashion. Can the press promise uh, a pledge of not a daily accounting of what Kamala Harris is wearing or how she styles her hair or what shade of lipstick she's wearing. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things that uh, when you have firsts like this is, it, you know, enters into the sort of center of conversation. How do we talk about Kamala Harris and how is that different from the way we talk about Joe Biden or a male politician. Uh, Libby Casey, what do you make about the focus on clothing yesterday? Now, there was also some clothing. There were some clothing choices that were quite intentional and and had messages, important messages behind them. The the, the use of purple uh, in many of the the, the women's clothing, uh, I, I know, was meant to send uh, a message about about suffrage. Uh, but 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 there is still this focus on clothing that uh, that has a gender uh, tinge to it. And I guess that's that's what's uh, bugging Bernadette this morning. Bernadette, I hear you. And I made sure yesterday when I was on the air to talk about what Joe Biden was wearing, the incoming president. It was Ralph Lauren, by the way, because um, <laughs> a, a focus on American designers um, is is something that like this incoming team wants to do. So so they, they are signaling. They recognize we're all looking at what they're wearing. So there is some signaling in the fact that um, they were wearing American designers. Um, you know, Kamala Harris often wears and promotes designers of color, which is just in- incredible uh, in terms of opportunities and promotion of brands and um, and designers in America. And uh, yes, now the vice president is different than sort of the the, the first lady or the second gentleman now mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, she's elected. Um, she was picked for this role, uh, and so we'll be focusing a lot on what she does, what she says. I will say this, though, if you will indulge me, Bernadette, that there there was one special thing that Americans were doing all over the country yesterday, which was wearing Chuck Taylor All-Stars and Pearls um, in honor of Kamala Harris because she campaigned uh, in, in those Chucks around the country. And, um, and the wearing of Pearls w- was really symbolic um, in so many ways. Uh, and, you know, I, I, you guys have probably seen it, but people were celebrating this, this advancement to see this woman uh, 
take this oath of office yesterday and were sort of wearing their their pearls and their chucks. You know, so many of us are stuck at home and it was a way to sort of unify and come together. Um, Congressman Barbara Lee, who's a Democrat from California, honored Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman elected to Congress, the first to run to be president as a Democrat mm-hmm. by wearing her pearls. Yeah. Um, and so that that's a meaningful thing. So, you know, when we talk about stuff like that, hopefully we can, you know, we can get a little bit of grace when we talk about meaningful messages like that. Another important messaging yesterday was masks. Everyone was wearing masks on the inaugural platform. In yeah. fact, double masks were required. Um, and it it's virtue signaling and showing Americans the, you know, that that's the safe way to go. But it also was designed, of course, to keep everybody safe. And you'd think that's a no-brainer, except contrast that with that tarmac as Donald Trump was leaving no one was wearing masks except for uh, a couple of the grandchildren right. and some supporters who were there off to the side. But, you know, that's, that, that signaling is important. Now, I can tell you, we will be watching what Kamala Harris does and what this vice president does. And already yesterday, she was getting to work, not just President Biden. She was getting to work. And one of her first jobs was to swear in three new senators, her replacement, but also those two new senators from Georgia. And mm-hmm. Harris will have a very important role because she'll be the tiebreaker in the Senate. So you'll see her making that trip down Pennsylvania Avenue a lot uh, to break ties, to cast votes and to preside over the Senate because it's a 50-50 split. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Bernadette, thanks very much for the call uh, and the thoughts. Let's go to Sammy in Detroit. Sammy, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Welcome to Stephen and to your wonderful guest. Um, So I just wanted to comment about one thing. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I received I'm an immigrant, like became an American a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I received a call yesterday from my friends overseas. Congratulation me on the, on the return of the United States of America the way that it used to be. Those people were the same people was calling me two weeks ago saying, Sammy, what's happening to you guys? What's happening to the American democracy? What's happening to the liberty, the foundation, the rule of law, what's happening? Between those two weeks and two calls, I stand and ask myself one thing. Wow, we survived a huge disaster. Mm. We survived. We came back from the rashes. We were this close from collapsing as a society. People, unfortunately, here will not understand a lot of what I'm saying, but the soft power that's make the United States leading by example as a democracy country, as a liberty, as a foundation, is very huge outside the U.S. Mm. And we should protect and keep this for our children and for generations to come. Wow. wow. Sammy, what, what a story. Uh, I'm really glad you called to, to, sh- to share that. Uh, and, and you're right. I think a lot of times in this country we don't think about how people in other places on the globe, uh, people who live in, in in countries where democracy is more fragile or just developing, uh, how they look to us for an example and, and what that example has looked like for the last few weeks uh, uh, is is not something I think any of us would uh, would be proud of. Sammy, I really appreciate the call. You know, Libby, that, that call also reminds me of the international reaction to mm-hmm. the inauguration, of course, yesterday, but of course to the to the election results. Uh, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, 
um, you know, when he wasn't insulting multiculturalism, was also making statements about uh, the United States' place in the world, uh, making last-minute uh, policy adjustments. Uh, how is the international community reacting today to the things that Joe Biden says are going to be different about how he handles that? You know, after uh, Biden won uh, the, pre- the, you know, the 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 election, international leaders were quicker in a lot of <laughs> respects to recognize <laughs> those legitimate results than Republicans were. Mm-hmm. Um, we we heard from Jen Psaki yesterday uh, that Friday uh, will be Joe Biden's first call with a world leader. He'll talk to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and when asked about you know talking to Putin or or sort of other adversaries, Saki emphasized that the first calls and the focus would be on friends and not adversaries. Um, this has been a frightening time for many immigrants in our country. And one of the things that Biden pledged to do and indeed is doing is is trying to reverse policies of the Trump administration right away, um, including lifting the Muslim ban, uh, taking money away from that border wall, um, and also sort of getting DACA, uh, the, the program for dreamers, sort of back in action. And so this is going to be a market shift. And those are some things that that he can do with the power of the pen. Now, there are other immigration platforms that they need Congress to get on board with, and we've already seen resistance from Republicans on those. The question will be, you know, how far can they get legislatively to push forward on some real changes to immigration policy? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Sammy, really, really inspirational uh, thoughts and 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 a call there. Thank you very much uh, for for reaching out to us. Let's go to Christopher in Westland. Christopher, what's on your mind? Hello. Um, the thing is that, like, if the caller just called in and said that they called from over there uh, saying, yeah, the way it used to be. See, this is the same old pair of wingtips in the Brooks Brothers suit <laughs> putting the left foot forward as they continue to march on with the same old rehashed capitalism. We cannot do that. We need to actually take these funds and invest them into our economy, which is kind of what the Dream Exchange is trying to do with their Main Street Growth Act. Um, the thing is, is by putting uh, funds straight into people's hands, that's all it is. There is a hole in the bucket, Bill Eliza, and she's going to be like, well, fix it. But he can't fix it because he doesn't know metallurgy. You know what I'm saying? It's alchemy to actually weld that thing and put the glue to make this thing work. That's why the Green Party don't even got anything out there, like, actually in Congress. It was just like a big fluff ball of nothingness because they don't have the glue. So, you know what I'm saying? So, Christopher, I, I'm really intrigued by what you're saying here. And and I, I want to get you to, 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 to focus a little, though, on – what you just started with, which was that this is the same uh, guy in the Brooks Brothers suit with the wingtips. Uh, do you see, do you not see a distinction between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? I mean, do you really not see a difference? I mean, I, I, I'm with you on the idea that there are certain ideas and policies that just never get into the mix and have no chance uh, of, of becoming, uh, you know, law or, or, or anything else. But, but do you really not see a difference here? No, because the cord that binds us all is money. And they are both 
capitalist. Andrew Yang, capitalist. Everybody on your panel. We live in a yeah. We live we live in a in a in a capitalist country that you know right. is a democracy where people make choices about whether yes. it will be capitalist or or, or socialist. Right. And but guess what? Philanthropy doesn't work. Well, I it agree doesn't. with that. Yeah. Right, because it is a dog eat dog world out here, yeah. and they created it that way because of white supremacy. Yeah, because you won't get an argument from me, Christopher, about about what you're saying. But I guess I I get off the bus where, uh, where where you're sort of lumping everybody who's inside the system in this in the exact same bucket. Yeah, generally this is a this is a capitalist country. Uh, it's also a democracy where we get to make choices, though, about how capitalist it is or. Uh, or whether we want to do something else. But uh, but I appreciate the call and, and the thoughts, Libby Casey. This is some of the pressure that Joe Biden's going to face as well uh, as a somewhat moderate Democrat um, who's who's the president. But uh, in, in the Congress itself, in the Democratic caucus, uh, in both the House and Senate, there are people who, who, who believe, uh, much as Christopher does, that uh, the system is the problem, not the, the, the individual actors. Yeah, Joe Biden has a really diverse caucus, and he has uh, he has to find a way to make the very liberal and very progressive members of his caucus also feel heard and acknowledged, and that their ideas are being implemented as well. You know, I think there was a fear among some Democrats that, like in 2016, people who didn't see their candidate rise, like they didn't see Bernie Sanders become the nominee, would stay home and not vote. Mm. And, you know, there was a sort of a reckoning and a realization for many Americans that who had thought, oh, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, same thing. No, not the same thing. And so there's relief among Democratic leaders that people did go out to vote this year. You know, we had this incredibly high turnout for Donald Trump, but also for the for the Biden-Harris ticket, a record number of people coming out to support Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, recognizing that there was so much daylight, not just daylight, Stephen, like, you know, you know, I don't even know what's bigger than daylight, you know, <laughs> entire planets between what Joe Biden wanted to do and what Donald Trump wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is going to be is sort of getting everyone in this Democratic tent together. They were unified during the election because they knew they needed to defeat Donald Trump. How do they move forward? And they don't have a lot of wiggle room because the margins in the House and Senate are razor thin. And it's not, you know, the Senate's 50-50, as we talked about, but the House is also very tight. So, you know, they, they, they can't afford a lot of defections. So people like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are going to have power, but also people like Senator Joe Manchin, who's, yes. you know, so moderate, um, you know, he's sort of purpley red. Um, so there's, there's going to be a lot of pushing from both sides of the spectrum of Democrats. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Libby Casey, on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for The Washington Post. It is always great to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with NPR's Eric Daggins about the role of media in yesterday's presidential inauguration. Stay with us and stay with us on the phone. Brother Ray in Detroit, Mike in Gross Point. We'll get to you. We'll also get to some of the social media comments we have about the inauguration yesterday. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.
news, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about what happened yesterday in Washington, D.C., the inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation now, somebody who is looking at this uh, from a little bit of a different uh, vantage point. Eric Deggins is NPR's TV critic, and he joins us now. Eric, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yes. So as a TV critic, uh, tell me what you thought of the daytime televised uh, inauguration ceremony. Now, it's always on TV, but I feel like there was more reliance on TV as a medium to try to communicate the message here than normally because you couldn't have the crowds that normally uh, show up on the mall uh, for inauguration. Uh, give me your sense of uh, what we saw yesterday. Yeah, it was a more focused uh, presentation for sure because um, – you, you didn't have throngs of people. And, and uh, you know, I, I said this on NPR, like whoever came up with the idea of putting those 200,000 flags uh, yeah. uh, across the National Mall to keep that area from just looking like this vast, empty space, uh, they deserve whatever raise they can get. <laughs> because uh, because, because it, it was an, a magnificent visual, but it also um, helped disguise the fact um, that that things were so much different. Um, I do think that they had um, a really smart and well-focused presentation, uh, not only um, for the swearing-in ceremony, but throughout the whole day. They had an entire day planned with, um, you know, well-choreographed mm-hmm. events to send the message constantly. We are diverse. We're seeking unity. We face great challenges, but we can defeat them if we work together. And this is a competent, um, you know, much more uh, predictable and much more traditional presidency. And, and, and every visual image, everything they did, um, even down to the celebration at the end of the, of the day, mm-hmm. uh, where they saluted, um, they saluted essential workers and teachers and, um, you know, uh, and, and had, uh, you know, celebrities who, who previously wouldn't get near the, the, the White House in the past four years, you know, uh, are, are now back in the fold. You know, we, we are back. Things are back to the way that maybe you remembered uh, during the Obama administration. And, and we are going to be a much more conventional and competent um, administration. And, 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 you know, that stuff doesn't happen by accident. You know, you, you, you watch... Um, the people who were filing onto the stage mm-hmm. for the swearing-in ceremony, and you and you noted how uh, so many of the women who came uh, had very striking sort of monochromatic ensembles. I, I don't think that was an accident. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I think everything down to what the um, you know most important people would be wearing uh, was was thought about. And, and and was and was tweaked and, and telegraphed and 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 it, and it all added up to this this sort of message to say hey you know um, things are going to be okay and and uh, we need to come together and 
um, you know, here, here's the stuff we need to focus on as we move forward. I, I was really, I was really impressed with the with the messaging. Yeah, uh, I think there's always a tension here, and, and I'm talking specifically now about the the daytime entertainment. Yesterday, there's this tension between wanting to to make things seem fun and interesting and and uh, hopeful, uh, but but not wanting to be campy, you know, or or, or corny. Um, and you know, if you think of Garth Brooks and Lady Gaga and and Jennifer Lopez, I mean, you're you're walking right up to that line there. Uh, how well did they do at at just kind of Focusing the feeling they were trying to to, to to get people to to have without kind of uh, going going too far. Well, you know, I mean, number one, I would say there is a reason why every one of those performers you named is immensely popular and immensely successful. Sure, it's it's easy to sort of sit back and say it might be corny bringing Jennifer Lopez up, but you know, every one of these people has millions of fans. So uh, and 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 they're all I think considered relevant artists in the in the areas of entertainment where they operate. So I don't think they were really in danger of of things getting too corny. And indeed, the atmosphere of the moment—that's what was so interesting. I didn't really miss the crowds. I'll be honest, because mm. the atmosphere of the moment was not. Um, you know, you know, if you can remember back to when Obama um, was first inaugurated. Um, it, it was it was a full on celebration. Yes. You know, America had elected its first non-white president, and people were giddy with enthusiasm. This is was not that moment. You know, everyone is aware of the challenges that this nation still faces, and there's a sense that we were on the verge of of, of, of tipping over into something terrible, um, courtesy of the cap of the attack on the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Just a, just a couple of weeks uh, earlier, so so to have an environment where there weren't tons of cheering crowds and where it was much more somber and focused, and there was a sense that hey, we're celebrating that you know, um, you know, for Democrats at least, it feels like we've turned a corner, and um, and 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 their message, you know, Biden's message is we're the people who are going to handle this finally. Um, you know, that's a that's a great message. But there's also a sense that, you know, we know that we have a seriousness of purpose here and, and we're focused on it from day one. Mm. Um, so so to have them come on and to have them perform, I thought they all performed very well. Um, and I think they all performed according to their image, what we expected from them to have Jennifer Lopez throw in a little bit of Spanish to speak to, <laughs> to, speak to folks in a little different yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, and, and to have Garth Brooks, you know, take his hat off, send a message that, that um, people who you might assume would be more conservative were also um, supportive of what was going on. And then to see that moment where he sort of forgot about the COVID uh, guidelines and, and, and had to say hi to all the um, ex-presidents because yeah. he's performed for them all. He knows them all. Um, you know, it, it, it I, I thought it was just the right tone of sort of, what you expected, a little bit of what you didn't expect, and a sense of this is a momentous moment, this is a serious moment, but we also want to celebrate a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, let's go quickly to John on the east side. John, I've only got a couple minutes left, but I wanted to get your comment in here. Well, all I could say is relief 
and just a you know a huge sigh of relief after yesterday and um I certainly hear the earlier calls the callers uh comments about the same old same old, but it's really not it, it, we still have our challenges, no doubt about it, but what I want to bring up is is a young uh, the uh Poet laureate Amanda, I, Amanda Gorman, yeah, Gorman. Yeah. I mean that that was amazing. <laughs> it was truly amazing. So yeah. I, I I think she's an up and coming uh, spokesperson for the the citizens of this country. Yeah. I really do. Uh, John, I, I, we we played a little clip of of her her poem earlier in the program, and uh, you know I I could listen over and over and over again. Uh, Eric, as I said earlier. There's always a poet at uh, at an inaugural, and I'm always struck by uh, by their performance. But yesterday, I, I was just blown away. Uh, and, and again, for an inauguration that is so reliant on the 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 media sort of projection of it, uh, it was it was perfect. I mean, it was it was exactly the right tone, uh, and her her youth, her energy. Just really captured the spirit of uh, of that whole inauguration. Yeah, she did an amazing job. She completely seized the moment. She almost stole the show, <laughs> and it was completely in line with part of Joe Biden's brand, which is elevating um, non-white voices. You know, this is the guy who helped Barack Obama as the seasoned, you know, experienced guy who knew Congress, who was going to help Obama inaugurate his um, a very ambitious agenda uh, in their first term especially um, now he's the he's the guy who is going to try and roll back some of the excesses of the Trump regime he's brought in the first female black South Asian vice president um, he's presenting this whole day that's all about uh, unity and multiculturalism and you know, he elevates this young woman who was clearly ready for the moment uh, and, and shows that, you know, part of what he does is he, he uplifts, um, you know, voices that may not have been heard if he didn't, uh, if he didn't give them a platform. Yeah. You know, it was a great moment, but it was also completely in keeping with their overall message. And that's what struck me so much throughout the day is that you know these these wonderful moments would happen, but then you also had the sense that they were completely in service to this overall message that they wanted to send out. And I think after four years of Trump and chaos, it 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 it, it, uh, it was striking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be reintroduced to um, to a level of competency that we have not seen in, in the White House administration structure yeah. in a while. And in fact, you know Trump in his in his send off, you know his departure. <laughs> Um, was completely the antithesis. Yes. You know, not well organized. Um, you know, he went off script. He didn't. He didn't follow a, a prepared speech that his aides had circulated, and, um, and 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 completely in denial of the reality of of his uh, of his situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so in that day, you had you know the two different approaches. This really this really uh, stark contrast, right? Yeah. Okay, Eric Duggins, always great to have you here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.
Tune in tomorrow when we're going to have a conversation with two immigrants living in Metro Detroit about how they're processing the violent insurrection we saw earlier this month and internalizing how it's changed their idea of what America is.